This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We all have ways that we understand God. We do our best at trying to put together what he must be like, who God is, who God is for us, uh, what that makes us feel. And we see God in scripture in three distinct persons. We've talked about this before, these different persons of, of the Godhead, right? And we see uh, some differences in role among those three persons. Within scripture, we see different roles put on display. We see God revealing himself uh, in these different roles. We see these differences. We see the eternal decree of the Father. We see the commitment of the Son to bring about those decrees in his obedience and in his sacrifice and his calling us to do the same. But how do we understand the third person within uh, this triune relationship? How do we understand uh, the Holy Spirit's role? Who is the Holy Spirit? Depending on what version of the Bible we had growing up, we may have referred to him as the Holy Ghost. Who is this Holy Spirit? I think that for some of us, the Holy Spirit is kind of that weird uncle that brings some cool things once in a while, but gets a little creepy, not quite sure exactly how to take him because I don't don't really understand him altogether. Or maybe for some of us, we look at him as kind of our our spiritual co-signer where everything that we do, he's kind of that one. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside to constantly pat us on the back and say, whatever you're choosing to do, I'm with you. Or maybe because we can pinpoint gifts that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit, uh, we just know he must be on our side then, right? Because I've got these abilities and these gifts and, and it must be his role then to just keep reminding me that whatever I'm doing, I must be doing well. I must be right. What is the real function of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What is this actual function? Well, our text today answers this question with an an answer that might surprise you. Our text today uh, kind of starts to lay out some things about the role of the Holy Spirit, the role uh, the Holy Spirit should be playing in our lives and how we should be responding to that. Now, I won't get too deep into it now because we'll, we'll read it in a minute, but I'll tease this out before, uh, before getting into the text by asking this. Have you ever thought of God as a, as a lawyer, as an attorney? Have you ever thought of God uh, as, as this, this, this counsel in the courtroom? Maybe, maybe not. So often, lawyers can get a really bad rap, have a pretty bad Uh, reputation. They can have a reputation for being unscrupulous and self-centered and manipulative and without conscience. Wordsmiths that utilize the spoken and written words as mere weapons with which to conquer. And so when we think about lawyers or attorneys, we view them this way, uh, so much so that whenever we observe someone who is adept at debate and argument, we we immediately think they would be a good lawyer. Why do we think that, right? Because we think that what makes a good lawyer is someone who can argue well. That's kind of the conventional wisdom we we seem to have. If you're a good arguer, 
you would be a good lawyer. And sadly, we miss the point of the whole profession. And what God is showing us today is we may even be missing the very heart of God. Why? Because the job of a good attorney isn't evaluated by the expertise with which they argue, but by the vigor with which they advocate. That's what makes a good counselor. That's what makes a good lawyer. That's what makes a good defense attorney, an advocate. Advocate. Think about that word. That's the word that uh, some translations use to describe the word we're going to see here in Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. Right. Sometimes we see counselor. Sometimes we see helper. Sometimes we see advocate. I really like that language uh, advocate. Uh, and, I, and I'll refer to that uh, because it's, it says a lot about how the Holy Spirit is not uh, meant to be looked at as an accuser or not even as an arguer, but as an advocate. So hold on to that as we dig uh, into the text. I'm going to read now John. Uh, The end of chapter 15, as you know, uh, the Bible, they didn't have chapters and verses back then. And so sometimes there are things that are cut up in ways that I'm not sure is the best way for us to understand it. So the end of chapter 15 really kind of starts off chapter 16. So we're going to start at 15, uh, 26 and read all the way through 16, verse 15 together. John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father. He will testify about me. You also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. I told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have, they haven't known the father or me, but I've told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, And judgment about sin because they do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the father and you will no longer see me and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So keep in mind where we are. Jesus, these again are a part of his, his parting words, his last words, his final discourse with his disciples. He is uh, soon to be captured, soon to be arrested, soon to be convicted, and soon to be uh, killed. And the disciples here, they kind of get it, but they kind of don't. They don't know. He's already been kind of giving this, this foreboding language, this kind of warning of the things that are getting ready to come, the things that are getting ready to befall him. And he's even said they, may, they likely will suffer as well. 
But at this point, this isn't really a, a sermon. This isn't even necessarily a, a teaching moment. Jesus is not leaving his disciples this carefully constructed list of things to do after he's gone. He's not leaving step-by-step instructions on how to do them. This final discourse, or as Eugene Peterson calls it, this final conversation, is more about reminding the disciples of things they had already heard. You might be tempted to look at this and go, man, is, is Jesus rambling? He's repeating himself so many times over and over again. He tells his friends that he's, that he's leaving over and over again. He tells his friends that once he's gone, this counselor or advocate or helper will come to be with them. Now, this word for uh, helper or counselor, our, our translation uses the word counselor. This word for advocate, it's this word uh, uh, parakletos, right? This word is where we get the word paraclete from, right? This, this one that is called alongside, one that is called to your side to serve as one that can speak on your behalf. Quite literally, it means one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, a counsel for defense, legal assistant, an advocate. Another definition says one who pleads another's cause with one as an intercessor. This is very legal language. That's the reason why sometimes I feel like advocate might be even better because uh, that's something we can connect to. But counselors is not bad because as long as we understand this isn't like an emotional counselor, because I think sometimes that's the way we'll look at the Holy Spirit is I feel really bad. I need someone to give me comfort. It's not that the spirit doesn't bring comfort, but that's not what Jesus is pointing to here. He's, John is using uh, a very specific, explicit legal language for a reason. Now, this word that he uses, it's only used five times in the entire New Testament, and the same author uses it. John uses it here. He uses it four times in the book of John, and he uses it once in 1 John 2.1. He uses that same word, and it's the only time that word is used. Why? Because typically in Greek culture, it was common for people, if they were going to go before a court, they were going to go before a judge, they needed someone to advocate on their behalf, to testify on their behalf. They needed to call someone to their side as a counselor, as an advocate. It wasn't just emotional. It was very legal. It was very judicial. And so this word that gets used, right, this idea of this advocate, this idea of this counselor, this person who speaks on our behalf and gives us guidance. One old ancient Greek historian referred to it this way, uh, providing testimony in favor of an accused friend. This aspect of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come just as a rushing mighty wind. He doesn't just come as cloven tongues of fire. This advocate comes alongside, points us in the right direction, advocates on our behalf, shows us God's truth, stands with us, advocates for us. So how does he do it? How does the Holy Spirit serve as our advocate? What does that even mean, right? A good attorney will advocate for your claim by applying two primary factors. It's two primary things that a good lawyer is thinking through when they're representing uh, their client. Those are the rule of law, and the facts of the case. In other words, if your lawyer is arguing for your innocence, she will look at the rule of law for whatever you've been accused of breaking and then prove they don't apply to the facts of the case. 
Say this person was accused of stealing. Well, here's how the law defines stealing. Let's look at the facts of the case to see if what she did satisfies what's written in the law, right? That's what an advocate should do. Those are the things that a good lawyer would do. Well, spiritually, it's the same thing. What is the rule of law with God? The heart of God, the full counsel of God's heart and God's word. What are the facts of our case? Our very lives. At the end of the day, we take our lives, right? All the things that comprise what it means to live as an image bearer of God. And then we apply those facts to the rules of God's heart. And we take the rules of God's heart and apply them to our facts. And there are times when they are in, uh, uh, in agreement with each other. And there are times when they are discordant. So what happens when they're discordant? This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. So that's why in verse 26, what does it say the Holy Spirit does? He will first testify about Jesus. Well, guess what? He serves not only as our advocate, right? But he serves as the advocate for the Father. He actually testifies about what the Father's heart is for us. In other words, he shares with us God's rule of law for all of us who bear his image. And then verse 27, what else does he do? He not only testifies about the heart of God to us, uh, testifies about Jesus to us, he empowers us to testify about Jesus to others. What does that mean? Our lives are to be lived in such a way that all of the facts are in accordance with his heart and his plan for us. That's, he empowers us so that the facts can begin to fall in line with his heart. And then when you get into chapter 16, look down to verses eight through 11. What is it specifically that the Holy Spirit does here. Verse eight, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness and judgment. Now think through this, look at the three things that gets brought up here. First, he says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Then he starts to explain what he means by that. He explains by saying, not, they didn't, these are people who don't believe in Jesus. So not believing in Jesus is sin, why? It's not just about finding the person with the right check mark. Not believing in Jesus is sin because if we don't believe in him, we are still in our sins, which means when we go into a court of law, the spiritual court of law, we are guilty without an advocate. We are still guilty in our sins. So the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world, unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, convicts them and says, you are still guilty in your sins you still stand before a judge with no advocate. You're gonna lose your case. That's what it means for us to really have an advocate, right? So the Holy Spirit does that. Then he also, uh, John brings up righteousness, right? So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, points them to righteousness. And what does that mean? When Jesus, you know, he responds by saying, I'm not gonna be with you anymore. So the Holy Spirit is actually gonna show what righteousness looks like. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, let's think about it this way. People would have no physical example of who God is any longer when Jesus leaves. These disciples, they didn't quite understand everything that Jesus was doing. They didn't understand the things that he was saying, but they saw the example of his life and they were like, we're still not getting it fully, but we have this template in front of us to see what it looks like to love people. I've never seen love like that. I'm still trying to figure out how that can be true of my own heart, but I'm seeing this example of this radical love. And that is, that is giving me kind of this emphasis, this, this, this drive to try to love in that way, right? 
when Jesus leaves, that example is no longer there. But when the counselor comes, you know, sometimes it's important for us to be able to be able to trust God even when we don't see evidence of things happening around us that might remind us of him. Sometimes we need to have this place of like, there's something internally, intrinsically that is reminding me of who God is because I might not see evidence of it around me. And really, those are the things that really builds our faith even more, right? When there's something internally that's, that's continually reminding me of who God is, when my eyes won't remind me, that is where real faith comes in. That's when the grace of God comes in. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So Jesus is like, listen, a lot of y'all's faith is hinging on the fact that I'm just in physical close proximity to you, but your faith is going to be built, is going to grow, is going to get even stronger when you don't see me, but my spirit is actually in you. This is what he means when the Holy Spirit comes to bring righteousness and judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world will be judged. Who's the ruler of this world? The scriptures really point to a real accuser, a real enemy. In Revelation, they refer to Satan as the accuser of the brethren. In Job, Satan goes before God to accuse the brethren. Remember, that's how the whole conversation started. There is indeed an accuser. And usually the accuser works in concert with us. Because many times we are the ones who do a great job of constantly accusing ourselves, despite the fact that we really have said we've placed our trust in Jesus as the one who actually uh, renders us not guilty, the one who actually uh, redeems us, buys us back from the curse of the law. And so many times the accuser of this world works within the, the, the inter uh, the inner accusers of our own hearts and works in concert so that we uh, find ourselves almost convicted, uh, finding ourselves condemning ourselves. And yet the Holy Spirit comes to remind that judgment has already come upon the accuser of this world. Now look at the language that's been used here. Convict, advocate, if you will, judgment. These are all legal terms. So this leads us to this next question. Why do we need a lawyer with God? You might feel like, man, I don't like this kind of language because I like to see God as, as my father and my father is good and loves me, right? I like to see God as a comforter and he brings real comfort to me. I don't know that I like to think of God as a lawyer. I don't know that I want to imagine myself as in need of a defense before a judge and having a jury and a trial. I've watched a lot of Law and Order and I don't know that I like to think of God in that context, right? Why do I need a lawyer with God? Well, consider this for a moment. Our world is full of messy situations. We've got relationships between people, between countries, between political parties, even within our families. These relationships get incredibly messy. They get incredibly heartbreaking. They can be incredibly grave. Many times we find ourselves caught up in the middle of these uh, messy relationships with no real good answers. Sometimes we're the ones who start the mess. Other times we're the ones that are just a part of the mess and we don't know how to clean it up. Sometimes we try to step in and help. Sometimes we just make it worse. Sometimes we know what the right thing is, but we don't do it or we wind up doing the wrong thing for selfish, sinful reasons. Now, imagine for a moment that we find ourselves in a situation where for whatever reason, we intentionally or unintentionally do the wrong thing, cause real pain, harm, issues, disagreements, conflict. 
Somehow, in the midst of all of that, we flat out do, we intentionally do something or unintentionally do something that grieves God's heart, grieves the heart of other image bearers, and we sin, period. We sin. And at that moment, very moment, poof, we are transmitted, right? We're transported to a courthouse. And there in the courthouse, we see the judge, God. We see Satan as the prosecuting attorney. And we see Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit, because we see those, uh, those words used for both of them as our advocate. We see our advocate, our lawyer. Now, this might sound a little wild, a little off, even surreal, but when you, when you think about what the Bible tells us about uh, these respective roles, it should make more sense. First, the courtroom. God is the judge in the courtroom, right? We know that James 4.12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? So God is the judge in this courtroom. Second, consider Satan's role in this courtroom, especially his attitude and how he treats people. In, in 1 Peter 5, uh, we're told that he's the adversary, right? The adversary who walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Revelation 12, we're told that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accused us before God day and night. Again, the word here for accuser in the original Greek has a very legal sense to it. It means to be a prosecutor, an attorney who's trying to convict us of a crime. Now, knowing then that Satan and us are constantly bringing accusations against us, the role of the spirit, the role of God as our advocate begins to become much clearer. We start to see our need for a real advocate. We see our need for a defense attorney. You've got this perfect judge, God, overseeing the case. We know there will be no mistakes in the proceedings. He wrote the laws. There's no chance that the case will be dismissed because of some technicality or a possible bribery of the, of the, of the judge. Here we are in the midst of a serious case with serious accusations, and we need the best advocate. In the same way that we need a doctor in the sick room, we need a lawyer in the courtroom. Now imagine that courtroom setting again. We're standing before God, the righteous judge, does not make mistakes. And now we've got someone accusing us with mounds of evidence uh, about our guilt. And, and, and here we have kind of the prosecuting attorney bringing up any and everything, reminding us, yep, you're guilty. Yep, you're guilty. Yep, you're guilty. And if we're honest, what the scripture says, he who doesn't have sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we go into the courtroom knowing there probably is some evidence that we're guilty. And we go in the courtroom knowing that all it takes is one of those infractions to prove that I'm guilty. That's it. I don't have to have uh, this preponderance of evidence to prove it. All I need is one thing they can bring up to show that I indeed am guilty of transgressing the law. So here I am in that courtroom. There's no doubt that I'm guilty of my sin. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that punishment is death. We see that in Romans. So standing next to us is our advocate. The Holy Spirit has come to be our advocate. And we see Jesus being referred to as our advocate. First John, this is the other place where we see that word. In first John two verses one and two, here's what it says. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's that same parakletos, that same word, again, used five times only by the same person. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So while this is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you see that some of their roles overlap. And it's really interesting because you could imagine our attorney, right? Our defense attorney being cold and sterile and unloving, but he doesn't. He doesn't function that way. Not only is he a very competent attorney, he's warm, he's loving, he listens right there by our side, reassuring us, saying, this is going to be okay. Everything is going to work out just fine. I promise. Why? Listen, not because of the judge, not because he's like, I'm in with the judge, so I'm going to get him to overlook your, your sin. That's actually not it either. Sometimes we think about this and we go, if we think about God, it's just like, man, God just loves me so much. He just overlooks my stuff. That would not be a very just judge, would it? A judge wouldn't be just just by overlooking the, the sin without any real payment being made especially when you're talking about major criminal proceedings and there's a major law that's been broken. We would look at that judge as a corrupt judge, but that's not who this judge is either. What's interesting about the relationship between the advocate and the judge is that in many, in many ways, Jesus shows right that, that for him, he is not just going, hey, I'm gonna make the, the father overlook your stuff. No, the father, the judge still needs to see punishment for sin. So our advocate says, I'm going to go in and take on the guilt. I'm going to go pay the verdict. A verdict still needs to be paid. And in order for God to be just, it's got to be paid somewhere. So I'm going to, after defending you, I'm going to stand in vicariously. You, I, will, I will stand in the gap and I will suffer your punishment and you in turn will get my righteousness. This is what our advocate does for us. Our judge is, our judge is still just. Guilt still has to be punished but our advocate is this vicarious payment for our guilt. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus and the Holy Spirit serving as our advocate means that they serve as our co-signer for wanton recklessness and rebellion. That's why he said in 1 John, I'm writing you this so that you don't sin. The advocate speaks on our behalf to the Father, but he also speaks on the Father's behalf to us. Remember, we talked about facts and the rule of law. That's all lawyers are focused on, facts and the rule of law. So what does the spirit do when the facts of our lives don't line up with his heart? Now, as good Christians, if you've been in church any period of time, there's a word that we often use to describe what happens when there are areas in our lives that are not coinciding well with the heart of God. And that word is this word convict. And we often will say, I was convicted and I felt deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think I know what we mean when we say it, so I'm not trying to rail too hard, but I will say, Biblically, this word is never used this way. As a matter of fact, anytime we see the word convict in the scriptures, that's always talking about unbelievers, always talking about people who are actually against God, and it always carries condemnation with it. If you're convicted of something, then you now are guilty of it, which means a price has to be paid. You are condemned to whatever punishment is there. But for the believer, that language is never used. Now, I know what we mean. We typically are saying, hey, I'm, there are things in, within me that I know are discordant, that I know are inconsistent, and I'm feeling right this, this righteous anger or frustration with the fact that it's there. 
None of those things are, are, are wrong, but we need to be careful with our language. I don't know that necessarily we can make a biblical argument that the Holy Spirit convicts believers, but what the Holy Spirit does do is convince believers that Jesus is still the better way. So anytime that I'm struggling with sin, right, that my heart is just not in line with God's, what the Holy Spirit does is comes in and begins to finish the work that he promised to finish, right? He started it, God started it in us. He's gonna continually sanctify us, change us. And so what he's doing is every, he's saying to you, every area in your life where you're seeing real sin, those are areas where you still don't believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy whatever craving or loneliness or desire that you have. So if you're a believer and, you're, and you still have struggles, which we do, it's not conviction of the Holy Spirit that's necessary because conviction happens for unbelievers and people who don't know Jesus. It's convincing and reminding that we need, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why when he, uh, Jesus reminds us and says, he's gonna guide you in all truth. He's guiding, he's reminding. It's not like he's revealing new truth. It, Jesus has been saying these same things over and over again. He's reminding you of the truths that you are so apt to forget when pressure comes. He's reminding us of the truth of the things we're so apt to overlook and ignore when frustration comes. And so we need to be convinced that Jesus and his heart is still a better way. It's still the best way. It's still the thing that brings us our best flourishing in him. So don't think of it in terms of conviction. Think of it in terms of convincing. When we think about the advocate this way, think about the ways in which the Holy Spirit is advocating for you, the ways that Jesus is advocating for you before this just judge in the midst of the accusations, in the midst of the allegations, to know that you have the greatest advocate, the greatest defense attorney. Instead of waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up, we say this all the time, Man, I just wanna, I really wish I could see some evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I really wish that I could see some manifestation, something demonstrative, I just, maybe a miracle. I wish I could just see the Holy Spirit show up. Maybe we need to realize that he's already here. He's already among us, encouraging us, waiting for us to testify the same way the Spirit testifies, that Jesus really is Lord, that he really is enough. And we mean, we intend to follow wherever the Spirit leads us. Why? Because God, the Son, God, the Spirit, he's our perfect advocate who never loses a case. In other words, he rests our case so that we can rest in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would we would be in a, in a place where we would not look to just constantly defend ourselves or clear ourselves. Father, I pray that we would see you and your spirit. Pray that we would see you as our great advocate, one that, do, that doesn't just argue against us, but one who advocates for us. Father, I pray that the areas in our lives that are discordant with you, that you would convince and remind us of your heart and never let us feel comfortable in ways where we are completely out of sync. God, I pray that you will encourage our hearts to continue to follow you, to believe you, to follow you in all truth as you guide us there. God, I pray that all those who are living under this cloud of shame and accusation, God, I pray that if they know you, 
that they would know that you indeed have forgiven, that you indeed are advocating, that you indeed are loving, that you hear us, that you listen, that you come alongside and say, yes, this thing happened. Yes, this thing hurts my heart, but I have paid this eternal price so that you no longer have to follow in that way. Father, I pray that you would, if we don't know you, that you would convict us and that you, will inc- and that you would actually show us and prove to us who you are. And Lord, for those of us that know you, I pray that you would convince us and remind us of who you've always been, who you promised to be, and who you were making us into be. God, let us be people who are advocated for, not people who are known uh, for all the ways that we try to argue for ourselves. God, I pray that we would do this for your glory as you remake us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive this final benediction from God together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. And through the power of our advocate and in the name of our advocate, we say, Amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.